Welcome to At the Threshold, a podcast for ministry leaders during this new, unsettled season in the life of the church. We are your hosts, Ashley Alley Crawford and Shelley Pitts. And we are both clergy in the Great Plains Conference of the United Methodist Church, comprised of approximately a thousand churches in the states of Kansas and Nebraska. Shelley works with clergy faith and wellness with the Great Plains Conference. And Ashley is the Clergy Recruitment and Development Coordinator, and we're sharing this from the Office of Clergy Excellence. Our focus here in At the Threshold is to host a conversation with and for clergy in order to describe what's happening, ask questions to help get us unstuck, and encourage the heart of pastors and leaders in this liminal time in which we find ourselves. Liminal may be a new word, but a new season calls for a new word. Liminal means a threshold from what we've always known to, well, we don't know just yet what life and ministry is becoming. Our goal here is to find a little light at the threshold. In our conversations, we are seeking to describe some of the dynamics that we're seeing and identify some questions and possibilities that are bubbling up for us. Ultimately, we hope you leave today with your heart encouraged in some way. Each time we gather, it's our hope that you'll glean one or two things to think about, act upon, or pray through. Hi, I'm Ashley Alley Crawford, and co-leading our conversation today is the Reverend Dr. Shelley Petz. Shelley and I are both clergy here in the Great Plains Annual Conference, and we're hosting a series of conversations on behalf of the Office of Clergy Excellence as we lean into the disruptions and the gifts of the coronavirus season. In each of our conversations, we describe some of what we're seeing, we identify some questions and some possibilities that are bubbling up for us, and we hope to encourage the heart of everyone who listens today. This has been a hard year, hasn't it? Between the typical challenges of pastoral leadership, the last few years have brought a great deal of conflict and pressure in the lives of clergy. We don't wanna gloss over or minimize the challenges, and yet our theology compels us forward. Psalm 126 verse five is our banner. Those who sow in tears will reap with shouts of joy. The opportunity for tears has been plentiful. And we are trusting that a harvest of joy is on the horizon. For the summer of 2021, here at At The Threshold, we are proclaiming great joy. And instead of providing interviews with people who can help us navigate the liminal season, we're collecting stories of joy that the clergy in our conference are experiencing. As we've been hearing these testimonies of joy this summer, I've really been leaning into learning all that I can about joy. Honestly, prior to this summer, I've certainly pondered joy before. I've, in fact, often quoted Henry Nouwen's famous thoughts on joy. Maybe you've heard his quote before. Joy does not simply happen to you. You have to choose it, and you have to keep choosing it every day. In fact, this sign over my shoulder right here on the door, it's kind of become a mantra to me. It says, choose joy. But even as I've as we've begun to hear these stories from other clergy, I'm reminded that it's just not that simple. We can't always just choose joy. How do we, how do we do it? 
Well, I can't say that I know for sure, but I've got a working theory that's helping me to plant these seeds of joy in the midst of the fallow fields of weeping. What I'm talking about is delight. A year ago, I stumbled across this book by Ross Gay. It's called The Book of Delights. And in it, he writes daily essays uh, for his whole 20, 42nd year of life. Uh, and they're all about delight and his experience of it. You see, delight has the ability to cultivate attentiveness. Or maybe it's the other way around. Um, attentiveness has the power to cultivate delight. Okay, I actually think it does work both ways. The more I pay attention, the more I'm delighted. And the more I'm delighted, the better I pay attention. Theologically speaking, I think delight also has the ability to produce awe. And awe is the beginning of worship. When I am in awe, I'm really on the front edge of worship. When I delight in the tiny flowers that I see budding in my planter, I'm more likely to give thanks to God, the one who makes the plant grow. I've been learning that, at least for me, delight is also a very present experience. I mean, I'm still kind of working this theory out, so I might be wrong on this one, but as I've described some of the things that have delighted me to another person, I've found that sometimes it's sort of one of those, you just kind of had to be there experiences. And I think that might be what makes delight a little different from joy. Joy isn't necessarily rooted in any particular time frame. I think it can well up from the past. I think it can be very present. And I think it can even spark from a future orientation. But delight, I think, is right here, right now. As I think about delight, I can't help but think about that famous psalm that talks about delight. Take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. This is Psalm 37, four. And to be honest, I remember learning this scripture as a kid. It felt sort of like a way, however, to gamify God. If I can find delight in God, um, then maybe God will give me what I want. But as I've thought and thought about Psalm 37, especially in its entirety, it's not really about that at all. Here's the thing. Finding delight in God actually changes the desires of our hearts. There's something about meditating on God and finding delight in God's character and God's gifts that does sort of reframe and reorder the desires of our hearts, even in the present. So Psalm 37, 23 has God delighting in us as we walk forward in faithfulness. It's not just something we experience. I think delight is something that God experiences as well. So today I call to our minds delight, finding delight in creation, finding delight in sweet and funny things, in clever and beautiful things, and ultimately in God. I think finding delight, experiencing delight, leaning into it. It's a way for us to choose joy amidst all the other possible harvests. After Ashley and I had been talking about the role of delight, I decided to focus on delight on a recent drive. What I noticed surprised me. When I first decided to focus on delight, I could only see the trash alongside the roadway. 
and the dead trees and the bushes that needed cleaning out. Now I have traveled this way several times, but I didn't notice how much garbage there was. And I was frustrated that when I started focusing on delight, that the first things that were most noticeable were the things that seemed anything but delightful. Then it invited me into a deeper place. It invited me to pray for the circumstances that led to trash alongside the road. It invited me to a deeper awareness of the people who will come alongside and pick it up. I saw dead trees and bushes along the road and was aware that out of death comes life. In focusing on delight, I saw everything much more clearly, even the difficult things. I saw more with my eyes and I began to see with my mind and my heart and my soul. Even when the sign on the side of the road said, rough road ahead, I invited myself to look at it with eyes of delight and curiosity and an openness to what even that might mean. I began to delight in why the road was rough, because so many had traveled the road before me, and because other people were at work patching and repairing the brokenness. And because sometimes things are just rough, but we are going through it with others. Even this shift in my thinking helped me to get through the rough road patch. Finding delight, proclaiming joy, that is what we are about in our time together. For me, sometimes this comes even more profoundly in the midst of the garbage, the deadness, and the rough roads of life. We are going to take a short break and hear about some opportunities for growth. Stay tuned and we will be back shortly. Good news. Christ is still very much alive and well working in the world today. I'm Todd Seifert and I invite you to check out my podcast in layman's terms. Once a month, this podcast tells stories of people serving the risen Christ in the world today. Other weeks of the month, I share a reflection on a passage from the Bible aimed at people who with no background in Scripture, who find the Bible difficult to understand, or who just feel like they need a refresher on parts of our sacred texts. And it's all done in plain English, in layman's terms. So find my podcast on the Great Plains Conference website at www.greatplainsumc.org podcasts. Well, we are so excited to hear from our first guest, Hector Eduardo Busan, who most of us know as Eduardo. He attended St. Paul's School of Theology, where he met his wife, Karen Jeffcoat, who currently serves as the registrar for the Conference Board of Ordained Ministry. Eduardo has been in ministry for 21 years, the last eight as the university minister at Nebraska Wesleyan University in Lincoln, Nebraska. He's passionate about helping people find their way in God and in service of others. He and Karen have two kids, Isabel and Elijah, who he says impresses them every single day. They also have two cats who wonder why they've been left at home so much lately. And I'm wondering if the cats impress you as much as your kids do. I don't know, who knows. Eduardo, we're so happy to have you here today and to hear your testimony of joy. Thanks for being with us. Oh my gosh, th thank you, Ashley. Thank you for having me. I, my, my cats, they, no, they're not, they don't impress me at all. They just sit down and look at me with disdain, um, but we love them. It's one of those things. So um, when, when you asked me to, uh, to, to come and, and share a testimony of joy, 
uh, the first thing that I thought of was Easter morning. And I know that that was a few months ago. But uh, on Easter morning this last year, uh, you know, all of our services were online. And, and I haven't really been leading a, a, an Easter service in eight years. Uh, when I was at Washburn, we, we, we did a, a sunrise service, uh, but, but we don't but we don't do a Nebraska Wesleyan. And I, I went ahead and, and sat down here, uh, here where I'm right now uh, at the patio uh, in my house and uh, begin to, to write uh, some uh, thoughts that I have regarding Easter. And, and it was early in the morning and as the sun was coming up, um, I began to hear uh, the wind rustling uh, through, the, through the trees and the birds singing and and the sky was this beautiful blue and i was just filled with joy and and that became part of my of my easter uh, reflection uh, which i wrote and i have a sermon uh, now for whenever i preach an easter sermon uh next um but it, it was such a such a powerful showing of the resurrection and and I, I know you know I, I know that uh, every day that I get up early in the morning uh, and, and actually come here, uh, I will hear the, the wind uh, playing with the trees, and I will hear the um, the, the, the birds singing and, and, and flying around. I may even see a squirrel uh, trying to steal a nut from here or there. Um, but uh, but all of this. Uh, were signs to me that even though the world, my world, the world of human beings, uh, seemed to be somewhat um, numb, uh, creation was very much alive. And, and for me, that that was that is the power of the resurrection. That when the world tells us no, or you can't, or you're not enough. Um, the power of the resurrection is God telling us, yes, uh, yes, we are enough. Uh, yes, we are full of life. And in every day in nature, I am reminded of that. And it could be here listening to the, to the birds, or it could be on the trail uh, when I walk and seeing beautiful wildflowers blooming, or uh, it could be at Nebraska Wesleyan seeing uh, squirrels uh, playing and, and, and jumping from tree to tree. Um, the, the testimony of nature is a testimony of joy. And, and for me to be able to, to be part of that and be able to see it and pay attention uh, has been uh, one of the uh, greatest sources of strength uh, for, for me. Um, it, it's, it's somewhat like um, a Mary Oliver experience. And if you haven't read Mary Oliver, her poems are just fantastic. And they are all based around her observations around, uh, around nature. One of her most famous poems uh, the one that asked, tell me what are you going to do with your uh, one and precious life? Uh, it is her reflections on, um, uh, on, a, on a grasshopper uh, trying to grab some sugar uh, from, uh, from her cup. And um, 
oh my gosh, you, you know, a reflection on vocation coming from out of a grasshopper. Um, I, I think that uh, reading that poem has really, uh, the Holy Spirit has helped me to open my eyes uh, to see how God is speaking uh, through um, through everything that surrounds us. So um, nature gives me joy. Thank you, Eduardo. Our next guest is Kiersey Engel, who serves at First United Methodist Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. She is a proud wife and mother and loves to be in service with her community and the world. Kiersey is passionate about justice, love, and inclusion for all. And she comes alive when she is able to inspire and empower others to become their best selves. We are excited to hear her testimony of positivity and so grateful for the words that she will bring to us today. Indeed, she shares that she, words that she lives by are that the best is yet to come. We are excited and grateful for you being here with us today, Kirsty, and thank you for your preparation and for your joy in this day. We turn it over to you, welcome. Thank you for having me. And so if I were to share a testimony regarding joy, um, it would be centered around this theme that I'm doing with my congregation right now. This idea of what is holy movement, being able to identify God's activity in the world and helping myself and our congregation figure out what our next movement is as we go forward. And so we're in this uh, series, uh, Holy Movement, and right now we're spending some time studying in 2 Samuel 6 and 7. And this might seem a little odd that I'm sharing this to pastors, but from this study, my life, has been enriched with joy. It's been um, enriched with a new level of enthusiasm for ministry, uh, because I know we could all use that with being in the pandemic and everything has been so uncertain. And I can just say also what I'm about to share has made me fall in love with Jesus and serving all over again. So in 2 Samuel 6 and 7, why I relate so much to this is because David at this point is um, experiencing becoming a new leader, a new king. And one of his dilemmas is dealing with this ark, this ark of God. Um, and in chapter 6, you'll notice that uh, David tried to put the ark on a cart. A new cart is what the word said. Um, however, uh, God quickly informed you know, uh, David, I never wanted you to put the ark on a cart. It was always meant to be carried by the people. Um, and then in chapter seven, then uh, David decided, you know what? You know, I learned my cart lesson. Now, maybe I should build a shelter for this ark. Uh, and this imagery has been powerful to my congregation because to how to get them to move, I've been really lifting up this idea that number one, um, we are meant to carry the church together. Uh, so my aha moment is, you know, uh, this is not a time to rush through three things. This is a time to inspire and motivate people to carry this metaphorical art together. But the biggest thing I'm celebrating um, as a pastor, sometimes I am shaky in my faith as well, wondering is God out there? 
is God even real at times? I know that seems taboo, but in chapter seven, when uh, David was going to come up with this new idea of putting God in this shelter, David interrupts, God interrupts David again and says, "Uh uh-uh, I am fine with being in the tabernacle. I never meant or or required you to put me in this housing. I'm coming with you. I want to be with you. My aha moment is that yes, God is real. When I look over my life, even as a new pastor, God has been moving in ways that I can't even explain. God has been moving in ways beyond the five loaves and the two fish. God has been moving through me and I kind of still think I'm inexperienced. God is real and I've been experiencing God in such a powerful way. But the most impactful thing that keeps me keeping on is knowing that in this engagement between David and God, when David tried to put God in a house, in a shelter, God pushed back and said, nah, I want to be with you, which lets us know as leaders that God is choosing to be with us in the thick of this pandemic. God is choosing to be with us in the thick of this division in our country. Uh, It's still bizarre that we are in times like this. God is choosing to be with us. I don't know about you, but I can shout right now at that. Um, That gives me joy that God could have had a choice to be in a comfortable shelter, but God wants to be with you. God wants to be with me. So when you're doing your work, this is what I want to remind you of. We all have choices, but the way I'm looking at 2 Samuel 7 in particular, God has a choice as well. And when God was giving the out to be housed in a shelter, I guess, to observe humanity from afar, God said, no, no, I'm fine with the tabernacle. I'm coming with you. So that is where I'm finding joy, realizing that God chooses to be with me, realizing that God chooses to be with all of us. And that's what it means when we say God will never leave nor forsake us because God chooses to be with us. Hallelujah and amen. Thank you so much, Kirsty, for sharing your testimony of joy. Well, we are so glad to welcome Velma Tim. She's the pastor of Lacine and New, Can- New Lancaster UMCs here in Kansas. And Velma is from Cameroon, where most of her family still lives. And she's so grateful to be able to continue to be very close, even though she's far away uh, in distance wise. Velma tells us that during COVID, she's learned a great deal about how to use technology for effective communication with the church. Velma, thank you so much for joining us today and for proclaiming your testimony of great joy. My pleasure. We'd love to hear your story. Would you share? Okay, uh, I'm just really excited. Uh, 2020 was a difficult year and a tough year, and uh, we had to learn how to pivot, how to do ministry differently, how to seek for ways. And one of the scriptures that I feel like I'm all helped me through and was like a sense of direction was Philippians 4.13, which says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It doesn't matter how difficult it is. It doesn't matter what it looks like. At times we don't realize that God has prepared us for circumstances that we don't even really expect. And that was uh, the sense that I had and the sense that our team had that we could, we had what it take it took to handle the circumstance and situation. And, and I, I will share, focus on four things that I felt were like so significant that maybe touched me as, as a person, and that may probably that's why I'm sharing. The first thing was just uh, 
shared pastoral care. Uh, I realized that with the needs of COVID, there was no way as a single pastor I could take care of all our members and be present for everybody. So what we did was uh, share, uh, divide our membership into tens and have people who were focused on calling and sending texts and sending cards to people. We just wanted to make sure that everybody knew that they were loved during the season. Everybody knew that they were cared for and uh, and it was amazing to just see what God did and how how uh, nobody was left out. Nobody was left out. But then the amazing thing was that even our little kids, our, our little ones, were out there writing cats and sending them to our members who are in the elderly homes. And it was precious. It was precious. And I just loved that. And uh, another thing was our ability to adapt to technology. <laughs> Uh, our church did Facebook uh, before live stream, but then when, when COVID started, we realized because our sound was not really good, but we were like, well, it's just something we do. We realized we had to up our game and our worship team worked incredibly hard and to update the technology and make it uh, work well. And uh, we, we God did some like just incredibly amazing things. We had stories of uh, one of the guys who got baptized during our Easter service actually had the service on Facebook and uh came to church we talked and gave his life to christ and he got baptized uh, during easter service and we had people calling us from people who are not in the country who are not in the u.s who live in other nations who would call us and make a comment about something that was said in a service or in a conversation because we had conversations of faith but then also uh our members, even the elderly, the way they jumped into technology, into Zoom, because we had small groups in Zoom, it was just amazing. I feel like everybody was went out of their way, pressed in to learn more and just be um, uh, involved in, in um, be involved in the life of the church, which was just outstanding. And uh, and one thing that we did that really we, we are still using now, we're still using Zoom, we're still using Facebook, but we had to learn ways of... Uh, being in communication constantly and we, we got this communication app where we send text messages every day we send announcements every day and and it's it's been incredible it's been incredible i remember there was one time that uh i missed i didn't really know that, that because i normally would upload the messages in uh, for a few a few days early and just upload them and uh, the time had passed, I had not uploaded, and somebody called, are you okay, is everything okay? We've not received our message for today. And that really, really got me, and I'm like, that is so precious that they were like, okay, if I didn't receive my message for today, there's something wrong. Uh, but that for several people, that is what keeps them going. They get a, a scripture that encourages them for the day, and we wouldn't have known how to do that. We wouldn't have even thought of that if it had not been uh, for COVID. So that, that was a blessing. Uh, another thing was uh, we had to uh, get innovative ways of doing ministries. And one of the things we did was uh, conversations of faith. And during this time, what we did was listen to the stories of people in our congregation. And it's funny because uh, I've been with those people, well, several of them had been already a year, and I didn't really know their stories. So during COVID, we we're like, well, we can't keep doing it like before. If we are on the screen, we have to look for a way that is different. And uh, there were several of our elderly members who shared their stories. Some were married for 70 something years, some for 60 years. And it was just amazing listening to them share their stories. And it's funny that most of those conversations had more views than a regular church service. And uh, 
So it was just amazing to just, and it get it got people uh, to be able to see more about the life of the people in our church. So it wasn't just about the pastor preaching. It was about um, our people who are actively, people that they know, but then they really know, they didn't know much about them. So that was just amazing that we got to know uh, all of those people. And, and one more thing that uh, we believe that during this time of COVID uh, that we learned as a people is, is the story of, uh, our, our food pantry ministry has been active um, all through and we had more people come in. But one of the unique thing was that there was, uh, we normally would do a Thanksgiving service, uh, a thanks, not just a service, a Thanksgiving meal, uh, and most of all the churches in town and the community comes together to do that. But last year we were not able to do it because of COVID. And uh, a few people from our church, just members were like, we think we want to do something different. And they did a Christmas meal and they took we had our teenagers come and help to serve this meal. And during while they were serving the meal, they took a meal to one of the homes of somebody we knew came to the pantry. I've been in conversation with her, but I didn't really know her. I didn't know the condition of her life. I didn't know the circumstances in which we lived in. And it was winter and they went to the house and realized there was no heat. The light was not on and they came, they were like, looks like this person doesn't have heat and doesn't have light. And so we're able to step in and find out like, to just get to know her. And that's when we realize, yeah, she's been living like that for years. No lights, no heat. And she goes uh, to the laundry laundromat to be able to stay when it's uh, during the day and waits there till midnight when it closes before she comes home and wraps herself. Uh, and so we opened up the church and she came in and uh, stayed there when we had like a, about two weeks when the weather was so severe and she came and stayed at the church. But the amazing thing is that our, our members came along her, supported her, were able to work uh, with the um, social services that are around to get, finally, she got her paperwork back, she got the basics that she needed, she got a doctor's care back, and presently she has a place that she calls home that has lights, that has heat, that has water, that has the basic things that every human would, uh, would need to be able to just... and. That so blessed my heart that those teenagers saw a need and they didn't just ignore it, but they it, it touched their heart and they were willing to talk about it. But then also that our congregation came alongside to say, we are going to meet this need. We are going to make sure that something is done, is done about it. So I'm a... This has just been just incredible. And then one more story. I remember uh, there is a young lady. She's actually in Europe. And after we had done the session, she called and was like, uh, there's this. It was also one of the conversations that we have on faith, and she coach was like, "You guys were talking about my life. That's where I am, and I, I've just been like, God, I need your direction. I need your help." And we talked for like an hour and prayed together, and it was amazing. And I was like, "This wouldn't have happened if we didn't have COVID, because there were several things we wouldn't have been able to do." So that has just been um, amazing. And the last thing I'll talk about has I would be. Uh, our congregation, uh, both churches have been incredible, incredible, incredible. The most supportive group of people that anybody would ever want to shepherd, about anybody would ever want to pastor. Uh, it's like you shepherd them and they try to come along to shepherd you. And they are like, there are times when they feel like, oh, you're tired, pastor, it's time to take a break. And people will check on on Friday, like, oh, we hope you're resting because everybody knew how intense the season was. And, and I would just say, Although COVID wasn't something good, some, it's not something that we celebrate, but in the middle of it, 
God did something beautiful. Uh, and I'm thinking of the, the scripture that he, he makes beauty out of ash. <laughs> he takes the ashes and makes something beautiful out of it. And I believe that was what, what happened. He gave us the strength, like we began to say, we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. And when we, we are able to let him walk through us in the middle of that, this kind of season, he brings beauty, beauty in the middle of the ashes, in the middle of something that we should just give up. Uh, he brings something beautiful. So I'm just grateful that in the middle of the difficult season that God was faithful. He watched over us. He protected us. And I would say one good news is that God, we didn't lose, lose anybody, none of our members to COVID, which is a blessing. It's something that as a pastor I prayed for and we prayed as a, we just were like, God, please, we don't want to, that, that's not something we want to grieve about. And uh, we are just grateful that he watched over everybody and protected us. Oh, Velma, thank you so much for bringing the good news to life, for allowing the scripture to be alive within you and through the telling of your stories of what you have seen and been a part of. We give thanks for you and for your ministry. We appreciate the sharing of each of our three presenters today for Eduardo and for Kirstie and for you, Velma. And we were just gonna take a short break now, and then we will come back and wrap up our time together. We will be right back. This health boost is brought to you by the Abundant Health Initiative of the United Methodist Church. Get up, get ready. It's time for a health boost. Let's unite to boost our holistic well-being. Strengthen your spirit with this one minute breathing meditation. Let's begin deepening our breath. Big breath in. Slow breath out. Breathe in. Breathe out. Breathe in. And out. One more cycle. In. And out. Bring your awareness back to the present. Acknowledge this moment of peace you've been a part of and take it with you throughout the rest of your day. Smile and let the joy of healthy living flood through your body. Join us in creating abundant health for everyone. Learn more at umcabundanthealth.org. Welcome back. As we close our time today, we just want to say how delightful it was to hear Eduardo and Kirsty and Velma and hear your testimonies of joy. We're so grateful that you all joined us today. There's growth and there's joy amid challenges and struggle. And we give thanks with them to God's sustaining grace. If you've enjoyed this conversation today, we invite you to share it with a friend by searching for At The Threshold on Podbean, Google, or Apple Podcasts. 
Also, we share extra resources and you can sign up to join a discussion on one of our conversations at greatplainsumc.org slash at dash the dash threshold. As we wrap up our time together, we want to share a reading from Angela William Gorrell's book called The Gravity of Joy. Dr. Gorrell was hired by Yale University to study joy and shortly thereafter experienced three close family members death, one to suicide, a 22-year-old nephew to sudden cardiac arrest, and her father to opioid addiction, all within a month of each other. Her book plums the depths of despair and lands on the solid and ground footing of joy. She starts her chapter entitled Joy, sharing about a dinner party where a group of neighbors gathered together. Receive these words as we end our time together. We had never been to Danny's house before, so we had no idea what sort of welcome we were in for. Danny's large table was covered with beautiful flowers and gold beads, reminiscent of the beads dad wore in the Easter place so many years ago. Her neighbors, Jamie and Francis, joined Paul, Danny, and me around the table for dinner. Danny brought out course after course until we were filled with calories and delight. The large table was tucked in between two sides of Danny's massive, beloved, and well-tended garden. Danny cares for it daily. Its lush, brilliant green leaves and bright pink and orange blooms felt like a warm embrace as we sat among them. At the end of the meal, Jamie and Francis spontaneously asked whether we wanted to go jump into their pool and cool off. We changed into our swimsuits and began to walk down the long gravel driveway out to the street. This way, they said, pointing to a spot between the tall, gorgeous plants. We walked through the large plants and trees and discovered a silver ladder in the midst of the garden next to Danny's fence. And just on the other side of the fence was another ladder. Danny, Francis, and Jamie put ladders on each side of the fence so they could easily get to one another's houses. They could easily pop up and say hello, drop in on one another, and share space and conversation. Up and then down, we climb from one side of the fence to the other. If there is anything that I learned in the years following my family's terrible weeks, it is that we cannot make joy like we make spaghetti. It is not as if we can do this, then this, then mix that in, and ta-da, joy. We cannot put joy on our to-do lists. It does not work that way, but we can put ladders up against fences. We can be ready and prepare. We can set another seat at the dinner table. We can do things as part of our preparation that make it more likely that when joy is near, we will be able to recognize it and embrace it. And we can give ourselves over to the what if of joy. We can live postured towards joy, alive to its possibility even in the unlikeliest places, even in close proximity to our sorrow, even and most especially in the midst of our suffering. Although joy is a gift, it has both a dynamic and receptive quality to it. So in addition to preparation, we can also look, listen, 
and be open to the awareness that anything, any person, and any idea could unexpectedly seize us with joy. We often find what we are looking for. Here's to setting up ladders to go into each other's backyards. Here's to finding surprising places of joy, delight along the way. We're so thankful to everyone who joined us for this conversation today. Thank you for listening. Thank you for being present with us. We hope that you've been able to see our reality just a little bit clearer. We hope you've maybe asked a few new questions and we hope that your heart has been encouraged. We hope that you are finding a little light at the threshold.